Warning, this podcast involves discussions of a spooky and graphic nature not suitable for children or the faint of heart. Strong language and mature content is present. Listener discretion is advised. You have been warned. And welcome back to another episode of Stabby Snippet here on Three Spooked Girls. I am one of your co-hosts, Jessica. And as always, I am joined by my better pod half, Tara. Aw. Hey, Spooksters. This week, we're going to be discussing the case of Sarah Lee Porter Knight and her husband, Harold Butch Knight. Butch is his nickname. So this is taking place in Michigan. Mm Mm-hmm. This is like one of those really weird stories that you would think would be an episode of like NCIS or like Criminal Minds or something like that. Because you're just like, what the fuck just happened? Mm-hmm. So let's start at the beginning of their relationship, which they met in 1995. There is an 18 year age difference between the two. So he was a legal adult when she was born, but they had both been married and had kids previously. So... I don't think it was like that big of a deal because like I think once you get like to a certain age, it doesn't really matter. Right. Mm -hmm. Because like she was 27 when they met. So the two met. Sarah is like a respiratory therapist. So she was actually helping take care of Butch's ailing mother. And so they quickly found out that they had a lot of things in common. They loved being outdoors, like taking picnics. They love traveling. Apparently, they love states with the letter M in it because they would go back and forth between Michigan and Maine a lot. And they loved kayaking. Well, that makes sense if she's outdoorsy because Maine's a pretty outdoorsy state or can be. And I hear Michigan is too. Like in the summer months, like a lot of outdoor activity is happening there. Mm -hmm. Sarah has two daughters that lived with them. And one of Sarah's daughters, her name is Roxanne, said that you could just tell that Sarah loved Butch like Juliet loved Romeo. Like, she loved him. But not so much of the family loved him, but they saw how happy she was and things like that. I guess they were very romantic. Like, Sarah loved Valentine's Day, and he would go and buy these, like, you know those giant-ass cards at, like, CVS that you're like, who the fuck buys this? Apparently Butch. <laughs> and he would buy her, like, stuff like that. And Sarah would always try, and I say try, Sarah would always try and describe their relationship like every day was Valentine's Day with Butch. But that's not how Butch acted. Sarah's daughters said that sometimes it, it seemed like Butch had two personalities, and it, we don't mean, like, he literally had two personalities. It was like a colloquialism that like, you know, he was like Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. Mm -hmm. Two-faced. Yeah, really loving and affectionate. And then he would snap and he was like verbally and like emotionally abusive, though no one had really seen any kind of like physical abuse that had ever happened. He treated Sarah's daughters like he treated them horrible. In fact, one occasion, Roxanne and he went fishing. And she was 14. I want to clarify that. Like, she was 14. And he basically told her that she was useless and that she needed to find a way to be able to make money when she became an adult because he wasn't going to be paying for her ass forever. 
Dude, she's like in eighth grade. What the fuck? Right. And think about like that time period in like a girl's life. There's so much going on. A lot of self-esteem is being built around this time. Mm-hmm. So she must have been like, oh, my God, like this fatherly figure is so aggressive with me. But from what I could tell, like a lot of the articles, it doesn't seem that a lot of people would be like, Butch is an asshole. To Sarah, it might be that it would like would fall on deaf ears. And so they just stopped. But for the most part, it sounded like people really kept their opinions of him to themselves. Mm -hmm. And I guess he would like oftentimes he would like pick fights with Sarah's daughters and just stuff like that. Like when she wasn't around, which was a lot because Sarah worked several jobs throughout their relationship at a time because Butch seldom kept a job. So, you know, Sarah's out there like busting her ass and he's at home like reaping the benefits. Well, like a lot of emotional abusers or like mental abusers, he was very controlling. He controlled who Sarah could socialize with. So if Sarah introduced a friend to him, like a new coworker, like, hey, this is my husband, Butch, and Butch didn't like them, Sarah wasn't allowed to hang out with them. He also controlled how much money she could have on her. Mind you, asshole doesn't have a job. She doesn't even have, like someone said it, it's in one of the videos that's on the sources page. Someone said that he wouldn't even let her, I think it was like her best friend slash sister, like that kind of a person. She said, Butch wouldn't even let her have enough money to keep on her to get a cup of coffee with a friend. Which is also another form of abuse, too. There's financial abuse like that. Jesus. Right. What a winner. He was obviously living off of her. He was, you know, using her for his own financial gain. Oh, most definitely. And I wonder if the money thing, too, was like a way to control her in keeping tabs so she wouldn't leave. Like if she didn't have the freedom to pocket money away, she wouldn't be able to get out is what he's thinking, maybe. Oh, no, I I definitely think that was probably one of the reasons why. I think he saw other people standing in the way of their relationship. So around 2007, their relationship kind of got rocky. And I think people thought that she was going to leave him. But in this like weird thing, Sarah pitches the idea to Butch. Why don't we move to Maine? We love it there. Why don't we just move there? And Butch is all about it because as someone who's like an emotional manipulator, being able to take her away from all of her support structure, who would ideally be like, you need to like get out of the situation. Mm hmm. So he actually was down for it. And while they were there for a good chunk of time, Butch actually held down a job. Wow, look at him. Yeah, he basically, he drove like a big box truck for the hospital that Sarah worked at. So their life seemed pretty okay. But after a while, we don't 100% know because Sarah never talked about it, but they were there for about seven years. And then Sarah basically called her daughter and said, I'm coming home. I'm looking for jobs in Michigan around where you live. I'll be home soon. So in 2014, Sarah moved home. And I mean, Sarah moved home. Butch didn't come with her. He remained in Maine and they communicated through letters, which wasn't unusual for the two because their whole relationship, they wrote like really sappy, lovey letters to one another. Mm -hmm. And when Sarah moved back to Michigan, she moved in with her daughter, Roxanne, and her husband. And she just like never really talked about it. Roxanne said obviously something had happened out there, but she never told us what it was. Sarah has, like I mentioned, has two daughters, but like only her daughter, Roxanne, is, is the one wanting to talk. Also, during this time that Butch is still in Maine, Sarah doesn't talk about him much. Like, he doesn't come up in conversation. Like, 
how Thomas will be like, well, Jessica has Tara, like that kind of thing. It wasn't like that. Or she just never brought him up. Mm -hmm. So Roxanne was actually very hopeful that her mother and Butch wouldn't work things out and move towards a divorce. But that opinion changed. She found a letter that was like tucked into Sarah's Bible. And it was a letter saying things like, I'm doing the list of things you want me to do. I'll get better so we can get back together and come home. I'm changing and stuff like that. So at that point, Roxanne's like, fuck it, fuck it, fuck it. They're getting back (laughs) together. You know, like she's a little upset about it, but it just seems like this family didn't communicate those type of things. And then it became very evident that they were working it out because Butch ended up moving back to Michigan. Butch and Sarah ended up getting their own place. Mm. Really quickly, Butch went back to his, his original ways, like his old ways of like no job, not helping Sarah, controlling the money, controlling where she goes really putting a financial hardship on the two of them. Because I I don't know, but it sounds like the way everyone's talking about it, it sounded like they needed more money to survive in Michigan than they did in Maine. Yeah, I don't know the cost of living comparisons, but makes sense, makes sense, yeah. And because of all of this, Sarah ended up having to work a lot more hours. She took several jobs and was traveling a ton. There were times where, like, at Christmas time, she was trying to get together with her kids, and she really couldn't get together with her kids because she was busy and working. But again, he's controlling her money. He's on her bank account. Like, he can do pretty much everything with Sarah. At this point in time, no one really knows anything is wrong. I don't even think at this point in time, Sarah really knows things are wrong. I think she's just tired. And like, you have to look at it like this. At this point in time, he's like 65 years old and she's 47 around that age. So she's like still in that working time of her life, but he could still have worked. Right. So flash forward to January 13th, 2015. Dispatch received a 911 call from a very calm man. Very calm. I want to stress this. I've listened to this recording several times. I have more urgency in my voice when I'm talking about cookbooks to Tara. Yeah, you guys got to listen to it. It's uh, it's very odd. Yeah. Basically, the dispatcher said, like, who is this? And he didn't kind of answer that question. And the dispatcher was like, what's going on? And he said, I strangled her. She's dead and lying on the living room floor. The dispatch then asked him, who is this? To which he replied, uh, that's not important. I'm getting ready to leave the country, but we need to get law enforcement there to do whatever they do with dead bodies. Like, this is his wife. This is someone he's been with at this point for like 20 years. Right. And then the caller hung up. Of course, we know it's Butch and we know it's Butch because even though he never identifies himself throughout the whole call, his son actually identified his father's voice. And said, yes, that's my dad. The call actually came from Ann Arbor, Michigan. They traced it. So he was about an hour and a half-ish away from their home. They didn't know it was Sarah because he never says her name on the call. But he does give the address. So Detective Craig Gardner of the Allegan County Sheriff's Office and other law enforcement went to the house. When Gardner got to there, he stated that it was like brutally cold that morning. And when we approached, there were no cars or anything in the driveway. We made entry to see if we could render any aid based on the phone call. When the police got there, the keys to the house were lying on the front porch. They went inside and found Sarah's body. And here's the weird thing. Like, they don't know who this is or anything like that. It's just a dead body. There's a manila folder lying next to the body, and it has a list of family and friends that need to be contacted. Hmm. Which is weird. Yeah, really weird. 
Okay, so it's going to jump around a little bit in the timeline. So on January 10th, Butch was actually seen emptying out, like he took huge deposits from Sarah's bank account. And then on the 12th, he emptied out his bank accounts and was seen going into like a specialty gun store where he bought a Glock Model 22 and a 40 caliber handgun with 40 rounds of ammo. They do find out that Butch killed Sarah on the 11th, and they presume that he stayed in the home for about 24 hours with her. He took all his personal belongings when he left. So anything like pictures, things like that of him, anything that would point to like Harold Butch Knight lived in this house, like he fucking took it. He took his car. He left. He just straight disappeared. Basically, at this point, since the call that they had putting him in Ann Arbor, Michigan, they don't know where he's at. And really, when you think about it, like that was the 13th. And then by the time they figure out who it is, he could be anywhere in the United States. True. However, two weeks after his disappearance and the death of Sarah, Sarah's mom, Carolyn Porter, received a package from Butch and it was postmarked in Maine, but it didn't have like a return address. It just was like dropped off at a UPS or someplace. Mm -hmm. Carolyn did the smart thing. And called the police. She didn't open it. Like, when she realized, like, it came from Maine, like, they know it's him at this point in time. The police came. They took it. In the package was $2,000 and a letter. The $2,000 was wrapped into, like, two parts, and they were wrapped in newspaper, and it was, like, $1,000 in each newspaper bundle. There also was a letter in there explaining why Butch had to kill Sarah. He basically outlined that he was a drug dealer and that she had become a liability. He also said in there that he would never get caught, that he was smarter. Oh, and by the way, just so that we know, the police did some investigation because obviously if a killer is saying, I killed her because I'm a drug dealer, they actually went through their intel and there was no evidence that Butch ever was a drug dealer. Or use drugs. Mm -hmm. Like he said, he said he was never going to get caught. He was smarter than the police and that he would turn himself in when he felt like he was ready, but that he would actually never spend a day in jail. It was soon after discovered that right before the murder, he was going to the gun range a lot and he was doing internet searches like we all know that murderers like to do. And he was Googling things like how to hurt people. Wow. (laughs) So at this point, They don't know where he is at all. But on January 31st, 2015, police find his car, which is the 2011 Green Subaru Forester, in Farmington, Maine. Hmm. Just a long way away. Mm -hmm. It was in a Walmart parking lot. So obviously, it was like abandoned in the parking lot. And from what I could tell is like snow had been pushed up against it or kind of like fell around it. So it had been there for a bit. And they look... And they run through the security cameras and they see that Butch has like colored his hair. Oh. I mean, he was balding, but you know, he's seen at Walmart buying more hair dye and that his mustache, which he has this like, I don't know how to describe it. It's like, can't even remember that guy's name right now, but it's the guy that plays in Grumpy Old Men and Walter Matthau. There you go. (laughs) He had dyed his mustache and his hair. And after that, he hitched a ride to a rural town of Rangeley, Maine. And that was the last anyone has ever seen him. There is one other kind of weird interaction with Butch in May, which is Sarah's birthday. They think Butch logged into Sarah's Facebook account and was scrolling through people's Facebook posts and was liking family photos as her. Ew, yeah. I remember hearing that. Mm -hmm. 
Roxanne wants the police to bring him in alive. She doesn't want him to go down in a shootout because she wants a day in court and to basically see him get justice. They have a theory that he's in Canada because he said that he was going to be leaving the country and Maine is so close, is so close to Canada that they really think that he went over there. There's also another theory. <laughs> I was waiting because I, I I think like... I'll let you explain what it is, then I will talk. Go ahead. (laughs) Okay. So Butch had this like weird fascination with Amish people. And he would talk about Amish people all of the time. He had lots of books on it. It was something that people in his life knew. It wasn't like he said one time out of nowhere, hey, I think Amish people are cool. Like he would bring it up often. Like I said, he had a lot of books. So in this particular area of the world, there's a lot of Amish communities. And a theory is that Butch has gone to an Amish community, told them he has found God and is hiding out in an Amish community. I found out that apparently Amish people are very welcoming to you if you want to join their lifestyle. So here is a weird fine line because in the past there have been some weird instances where Amish people have been raided by government officials and it's not gone well. But could we start looking into Amish communities to see if he's there? That should be a viable option. Right. And it makes a lot of sense why he would pick Amish people. They don't watch TV. I don't know if they read the newspaper. I'm uneducated on it, so please don't at me. I would think that they could. (laughs) Yeah, but they're not on social media or anything like that. They're not on social media. He could still get on Facebook and look at things because a lot of Amish communities have internet connection because they sell their wares, their Amish-made goods, and they have to swipe it. Like a card thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they have like square readers. (laughs) Right. (laughs) They're Amish, but they're smart Amish, which is cool. Totally awesome. Like, I don't think I could ever be Amish because I like air conditioning (laughs) and music. Right. (laughs) Let's be honest. If I was an Amish person, I'd be the kid that never came back from Rumspringa. Like, peace. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Bye. (laughs) So that is a theory, is that he's hiding out somewhere in Maine. But also there's other theories, too, because he was outdoorsy. And Maine has a lot of rural area. You lived there. Mm -hmm. From what I could tell is that people were saying he could have bought a cabin Think about it. He was in Maine a lot longer than she was, and we didn't know what he was doing or how he was supporting himself. He could have started building another life, bought a cabin, stuff like that, under a fake ID, fake names, shit like that. We don't know. And he could be living out in the wilderness. They also think that somebody is helping him or maybe not helping him kill Sarah. But helping him after, yeah. Right. And like knowing... Because he's just vanished. It's like nobody has seen him at like a grocery store or anything like that. So either A, he's moved in with Amish people. B, he's in Canada with his dark hair. Nobody up there is <laughs> like pays attention. Like I'm not adding Canada. I just feel like American drama is like not something that they pay a lot of attention to. So <laughs> that's my thought. So there's that. He could be, and I thought about this, like he could be anywhere. He could have bought another car and stashed it up there and be in Maine, but also drive. Like, I thought about this the other day during this research. He could be anywhere in the world. He could be in California. Mm -hmm. He could be in Montana. He could be anywhere because of the fact that, like, 
you could travel and go anywhere you want. Yeah, no, for sure. I really kind of lean towards the Amish community thing because then that goes hand in hand with somebody helping him because he's in a community that's off by themselves. So if he needed anything or any kind of care, he's got that community with him. Right. I know near that town that he was last seen or driven to or whatever, just from there, within a few hours of that town, there's like three different Amish communities minimum. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, and then you go down, like, like you said, the other states right there, too. Like, there's plenty of them. So that's the camp I'm in is he's off with the Amish. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) Hiding. Like, in all honesty, it's the least risky. Mm -hmm. He's out of the way. The people in his community aren't going to necessarily recognize him. Even with tourists, like, tourists aren't coming in to, they're not on the lookout. Mm Mm-mm. And he might have some kind of job, whatever, that doesn't even have him dealing with outside people. You know what I mean? Right. And that, you know, which would make sense. I also, I'm kind of in that camp. But I also think he could be anywhere in the world. This is true. Yeah. So if you are one of the people who are out there looking for him, here is some traits slash characteristics that may help you spot him. He is 6'4 to 6'5. He's a fucking tall human being. He is tall. Holy crap. Yeah. He's 250 to 300 pounds, even though they think he might either be heavier. But if he's in an Amish community, he may have slimmed down. Oh, most definitely. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of work. And I don't think I've ever seen a fat Amish person. (laughs) He has a hazel eyes. He's bald. He's got that like classic bald head on top and hair that wraps around. It could either be white or black. We don't know. It was last seen as black, but he could have let it go. We don't know. Could have shaved it. Could be rocking like a, you know, Walter White look right now. We don't know. He had a mustache. He could have shaved that too. He could have a beard. We don't know because it's been five years. He is white, so that hasn't really changed. Today, he'd be about 70 years old. He wears glasses or has been known to wear glasses. He is diabetic, but they believe that from what I gathered is that they're like, oh, he's into like holistic. And I'm like, oh, that would go perfectly with the Amish theory. Because I don't know if you can get insulin in Amish communities. I don't know. I need to look up. I haven't really paid much attention to Amish people. I think I need to research them. They sound fascinating. Mm-hmm. Definitely. He is linked or he, I should say, liked to frequent specialty health stores. Those like holistic remedies that he's looking for. Mm-hmm. Obviously, because we've talked about it at length, he has an interest in Amish people and the Amish way of life. He has a scar on his abdomen. Don't know what it looks like. They just keep saying scar on his abdomen. I'm like, Mm. is it like an appendix scar? Did he get bit by a shark? (laughs) He stabbed in Nam. Like, I don't know. Right. He is actually said to be very introverted. So that's (laughs) probably another good thing is that he stays undetected. For some reason, that reminded me of like, that's why the Unabomber, it took so long for them to catch. He's super introverted. And then I found out that my friend Kelly that I used to work with, her birthday is the same day as the Unabombers. And I was going to text her today. Jada, tell your mom. Uh, Anyway, He can drive big trucks. Like, so if he isn't in an Amish community, he might be a truck driver because he is trained in truck driving, computers, woodworking and accounting. So he's got like, he's got options. Mm-hmm. See, and if he was in an Amish community, he could be doing the woodworking inside like a shop or a barn or something and give it to whoever to sell because he's so introverted and doesn't like to deal with people. It's true. And he can fix their credit card machine. <laughs> true. 
<laughs> he loves kayaking. So in my opinion, like I look at that, he probably is in an Amish community very close to like water. Mm-hmm. And apparently another thing he is is hard of hearing. Okay. If you have any information on the whereabouts of Harold Butch Knight, you will need to contact the U.S. Marshals. Their phone number is 313-234-5656. So if you know where he is, please call the U.S. Marshals and turn him in for the sake of Sarah and her family because she deserves rest and peace and so do they. And, like, her mom is still alive, and that breaks my heart because it's, like, I was watching an interview with her mom, and her mom's, like, I can't go outside. Like, I just can't get over this. And, like, my heart broke. I was, like, no, mama. Because it's, like, you lose your kid. Right. So that's going to wrap it up for us today. And we will see you back here on Monday for a full episode and next week for another Stabby. Bye, guys. Toodles. (laughs) Toodles.